0: Hello and welcome back to Tani Talks Life, TTL, the Sheer, where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. We try to do this about twice a month. Tonight, let's talk for the love of Hashem's nature, for the love of Hashem's nature. Four of my five podcasts can be found on many podcast forums Including iTunes, Google, and the like. Just search in Google for the Tani Talk series or look in iTunes podcast or Google Podcasts, type, type in Tani Talks. Usually the Tiny Talks Perk Elvis comes up, Tani Talks OT comes up, Tiny Talks Parsha comes up, usually Tiny Talks Life also comes up. So that's the TTPA, the TTOT, TTP, and the TTL. Of course, Tiny Talks stuff, the TTD is on SheerEnjoyment.com. If that sounded tongue twisting, feel free to repeat and rehash how we explained it. But just look for the Tani Talks series, the different series we have. Think TED Talks, thinks Ellie Talks, and now we have Tani Talks. Thanks to my role model and my mentor, Rabbi Seltzer, for the idea. So we are reachable at Rebt at SheerEnjoyment.com Rebt at SheerEnjoyment.com The Sheer should be a Zahus for the Rafua and Yeshua of anyone who wants or anyone who needs one. Did you ever notice how beautiful Hashem made the world? Did you ever take a minute to appreciate the nature that God, that Hashem himself created? Breathtaking scenery, beautiful mountainscapes, amazing views, gorgeous sunsets, and so much more in the world comes directly from Hashem himself. Directly from God. But how often do we stop and appreciate it? How often do we contemplate it, try to fathom its vastness? Sometimes it's important to literally stop, pause, and smell the roses, literally. See the sights, soak in the beautiful nature made by Hashem. My wife and I used to go to different botanical gardens and parks in the past. Especially early on when we were dating and we met family. I remember going to the botanical gardens in the Bronx. What a fascinating, beautiful gardens. There's one in Brooklyn, New York, and the one in Bronx. New York Botanical Gardens are two of the best ones we've ever been to. On our trip to England, when we were first married, we went to a garden as well. On that same trip, when we went to Israel afterwards, what a beautiful trip. We stayed a few days in Netanya, soaking in the beautiful views, the water, the sun, And so much more. Throughout the years, we have tried to go to parks and gardens, especially with our kids. Especially if they're rambunctious, wild, and difficult, it's good for them to get out. Even recently, we have gone to a nearby neighborhood sometimes to see the the harbor here on Long Island with the water and the pretty scenery around. Just the other day, we went to the bay, we sat and we we saw the bay, we saw the the ships going by, some jet skis and the nice cool air of the breeze. Just for the kids and, and me and my wife to get out and appreciate the nature, get a little bit out of the house on a Sunday family day besides for doing tons of chores. It's important to take in what Hashem created in this world and appreciate it. There's so many natural wonders Hashem made in this world. God made so many natural wonders in this world. Think about the Grand Canyon in Arizona. Think about the Ramon Crater in Israel, a huge canyon. Think about the mountains of Hawaii, the volcanoes, and so much more. More. The vastness of the mountain ranges, so many things, the eight wonders of the world, so much more. Interestingly, in my humble opinion, the land of Israel is by far the most beautiful land in the entire world and contains many of the most beautiful creations by Hashem, by God, in this world and contains all the elements, in my opinion. I see it as a micro-picture of the world in terms of climates and features found around the world, all contained in one tiny land, the size of the state of New Jersey. It is compared to the size of the state of New Jersey. I've always yearned to live there, and we should be Zoha to make it there one day. Me, my wife, and our kids may soon be for me and my family and the rest of the Jewish people. A dream, a real dream. When we think about nature, we think about Israel, it seems that so much of it is contained in Israel itself. From the land to the products to everything in between, it seems it could be found in Israel. In fact, look at what the Gemara in Kadushin says. The Talmud says in Kedushin, which is the tractate about betrothal and marriage, 49b it says on Kadushin, the ten kav, ten keys of wisdom descended to the world. Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, especially the land of Jerusalem, took nine of them, and all the rest of the world took one. The land of Israel took nine keys of wisdom. The rest of the world took one. Ten kav of beauty, ten keys of beauty descended to the world. Jerusalem, or Israel, took nine, and all the rest of the world in its entirety took one. One. Ten keys of beauty descended to the world. Jerusalem or Israel took nine and the rest of Israel. The rest of Israel in its entirety took one. That's fascinating. Israel itself, Jerusalem itself has nine cobs or nine keys of wisdom and beauty. While the whole rest of the world combined have one kav or one key of wisdom and beauty how amazing is that i tend to think that the land of israel really as a whole has nine keys or nine cobs of beauty while the whole rest of the world has one key in its entirety in my opinion israel has everything it has all the ecosystems I believe the land of Israel encompasses all natural, worldly, geographic beauty as well as spirituality. It contains so much of it. Even listen to Wikipedia. I don't, I don't agree with everything Wikipedia explains when I typed in and looked up the geography of Israel, but we will take out what sounds very wonderful. The geography of Israel is very diverse, with, the, with desert conditions in the south and snow-capped mountains in the north. Israel is located at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea in Western Asia. It is bounded to the north by Lebanon, to the northeast by Syria, to the east by Jordan, and to the southwest by Egypt. To the west of Israel is the Mediterranean Sea, which makes up the majority of the 270th kilometer or 170 mile coastline. Israel has a small coastline on the Red Sea in the south. Israel is divided into four physiographic regions. It's fascinating. This tiny country, the state the size of Jersey has four physiographic regions. What other place has that in one tiny state? The Mediterranean coastal plain, the central hills, the Jordan Rift Valley, and the Negev Desert. In one day, think about this amazingness. I thought about this also when I was in Israel studying for two years. Some of the best years of my life before me and my wife were studying in Israel for those two years. The country of Israel, in one quarter of a day, in six hours, you could go from the tip, the hot, hot area of Eilat, and you could go all the way to the north, to Mount Hermon, the t- northern tip of the entire Israel, the snow-capped mountains of Hermon. Is that crazy? In one quarter of a day, six hours, you can make it from Eilat, the southern tip, of modern-day Israel. Very hot there, a very beach town, a coastal town. You could go all the way to the north in the same country and have snow. Crazy. Crazy. Amazing. There are four physiographic regions in Israel. Israel is divided east-west by a mountain range, running north to south along the coast. Jerusalem sits on top of the ridge, east of which lies the Dead Sea Graben, which is a pull-apart basin on the Dead Sea. Transform Fault. The numerous limestone and sandstone layers of the Israeli mountains serve as aquifers through which water flows from the west flank to the east. Several springs have formed along the Dead Sea, each an oasis, most notably the oasis is Ein Gedi, beautiful stuff there, the water and whatnot, and Ein Bokeik, Neve Zohar. Israel also has a number of areas of cars, topography, caves in the region have been used for many, many years as shelters, storage rooms, barns, and places of public gatherings. The far northern coastline of the country has some chalk landscapes best seen at Rosh HaNikra. Also in the north, a chalk cliff into which a series of grottos have been eroded. That is what is so fascinating about nature in general that Hashem makes, that God makes especially in Israel. Fascinating, in the tiny country of Israel, which is literally the size of the state of New Jersey. This Medina, this country that gets so much press is like one three hundredth the size of the United States of America. One three hundredth. It's just the country of Jersey. We have 50 states in America, right? But some states are much larger than others. Texas is not the same size as New York. Not the same size as Jersey. Not the same size as California Florida. But this country, our country, our land, the Jewish land, the size of Jersey has such a diverse topography with forming different types of areas. In this tiny country, God made it, Hashem made it that there are mountains, valleys, desert, rainforests, forests, snow-capped mountains like the Harmon hills, seas like the Kinneret, the Dead Sea rivers like the Jordan River, the ocean, ports, a crater or canyon, the Ramon Crater like the Grand Canyon, stones, limestones and rock, the Dead Sea, which is the saltiest water on earth, and the lowest water, the lowest point on earth, natural hot springs, En coral reefs, and so much more. All in this tiny, beautiful, amazing country. Literally every geographical aspect of the world is contained in Israel. It is a microcosm. Of the world it 's no secret, and it 's no coincidence that valleys and and wars were fought over ancient Mesopotamia, which many people have placed between the Tigris and the Euphrates or in the Middle East or in Israel itself. It was the major key connection to the whole world. It literally sits in the middle of the world. It is the center, the focus of the world for many reasons it 's where. God made the whole world from the Dome of the Rock, the Eben Shesiyah, which was in the second temple. That is where Hashem basically made the whole world come about. It's a very important, very beautiful, very holy land for us and the world at large. And, And for rightful reasons, Hashem, God made it that everything is in that land. It is a microcosm of the world. We must, we must, we must appreciate it. According to one opinion... In the Convention on Biological Diversity, the number of ecosystem types covering Israel's entire land area depends on the criteria for classifying them. But according to one classification, 46, 46 ecosystem types were defined, clustered into 11 groups, the largest of which is the woodland and shrubland ecosystems. 46 in this tiny country, our homeland. Fascinating. We need to appreciate the world that God made, that Hashem made, especially that of Israel. My, w- my wife and I recently tend to watch these wonderful virtual tours of Israel, because we can't make it there now for the foreseeable future. Also, have to gather up enough money to make it there. But there are wonderful virtual tours from One Israel Fund, especially from the Director of Tourism, Eve Haro. She has like 15 videos. They're nice snippets. They're like between 5 and 15 minutes. She pulls out a Tanakh, the Jewish Hebrew Bible, and she connects the psukim, the verses of the of the Bible, to the actual land that they're walking on in the video. It's amazing, and also we love the Jewish virtual tours, the Israel tours from David Sussman. He used to have a show called Land of the Bible back in 2017. I love that show. Really, both shows I love, but. It's fascinating. He has maybe 50 episodes or so. Every episode focuses on a different aspect. One time he went to Akko. One time he went to Haifa. Another time he spent in Jerusalem. You know, so he goes around and it has a really, really catchy opening song. And it has a really wonderful way he connects you to the people, to the land, and to the places. Fascinating. We're blown away by the awesomeness and beauty of the country, the green which sprouted once the Jewish people came back, is stunning. Mark Twain has a very famous quote in the late 19th century, in the late 1800s. He talks about how Israel, this country that was fought over for so long, that was rightfully ours, the Jewish people's first and foremost, and always is ours. He talks about how the land was arid, it was lying fallow. Why do people love this land, especially the Jewish people? It's a land that doesn't produce anything. It's barren, but... When did it become green? When the Jewish people came back in the modern state. Ben-Gurion, David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel, a great Zionist and a great person with foresight said, I want to see the desert bloom. And that's exactly what happens nowadays. It's beautiful in these videos. You must take these virtual tours and must use them because they go around the country. They show you how the desert was arid and now it blooms under the Jewish people's control and ingenuity, thanks to Hashem, how they make it sprout is fantastic and amazing. Stunning to see the greenery, to see the land. The connection to the areas, to the words of Tanakh, to the words of the Jewish Hebrew Bible is simply mind-blowing. Amazing. I also want to point out that interestingly, Tuba of was just a day or two or so ago. Why is Tubov so fascinating? of is known as the holiday. It's it's sort of a romantic holiday, a beautiful holiday of love. Why? Came a few days after Tisha B'Av, Tisha B'av is the ninth. Tuba of of course is the fifteenth. So you have it just a, just a couple of days later. This wonderful day. What happened on this day? Many different miracles happened, not relating to our topic at hand, but the the people at Betar, which was the last great stand against the Romans, they finally were allowed to be buried and and different things happen, But one of the main things that happened on Tuba of and the people in the Midbar in the desert that were wandering for 40 years, they stopped dying. Anyway, the Talmud points out, why was Tuba Av so fascinating this holiday of the 15th of Av of the Jewish calendar? In Tatan 30b, as referenced in the Mishnah, compiled around 1800 years ago, recalls the great matchmaking event that would take place twice a year. A great sage in the Talmud, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, said, There were no days as joys for the Jewish people as the 15th of Av, which we literally just had, and as Yom Kippur, which is coming up in a month and a half or so, when the daughters of Jerusalem would go out and dance in the vineyards, in the outdoors, in the nature. What would they say? Young man, please lift up your eyes and consider what you choose for yourself as a wife. Do not set your eyes toward beauty, but set your eyes toward a good family. Yichus. Lineage, as the verse states, grace is deceitful and beauty is vain. Sheker achen vehevel we say in Eshes in, Chayel um, every every Friday night for the Sabbath. Only a woman who fears Hashem, isha yoras Hashem, he tis she shall be praised. So basically on the 15th of Av was the Gemara, the Talmud solution to the Shidduch crisis, to the ability of figuring out how to solve that there's so many young singles and so many older singles, whatever age that we're not getting married. So what did the Talmud do? What did they decide to do? In those times, the Mishnah taught the Jerusalem daughters, the daughters of Jerusalem, would go out in white clothes. We'll see why in a second. And on the 15th of Av, they'll go out to the vineyards and dance. The sages taught this tradition in greater detail. The daughter of the king borrows white garments from the daughter of the high priest. The daughter of the high priest borrows from the daughter of the deputy high priest. The daughter of the deputy high priest borrows from the daughter of the priest anointed for war, Meshach Muhammad. The priest who would read verses of the Torah and address the army as they prepared for battle. The daughter of the priest anointed for war borrows from the daughter of a common priest and so on and so forth. All the Jewish people would borrow from each other. Why would every girl wear white so as not to embarrass one another? Everybody would dress simply so nobody would know how much money anyone has because that's not what's important at the end of the day. To find a shirach, to find a Zivig, what did they do in the Talmudic times and in the history, even before the Talmud, they would go out to the fields and they would figure out who belongs with who. It was before the time of Soyud Sinai, before the time of Why Connects, before the time of j Dape and J-Swipe and this, that, and this, that, and the other thing. It was before the time of this, that, and whatever. They went out and they just went out and they met. The Talmud's solution to the shirach crisis was of. They would find, the singles would find one another in the fields, in nature. Dafka specifically outside, on purpose, in the vineyards. They didn't meet each other at a tiny table in a cramped room that was overcrowded, claustrophobic, hot. They went outside in beautiful nature, in beautiful weather, and they would figure out who was for who. And if somebody wanted beauty, somebody wanted lineage, somebody wanted money, they would figure it all out. In nature in the fields, because nature is the element, is one of the elements in our life that is crucial, fundamental, and so important, and we have to understand and appreciate and utilize it for good and understand, realize it comes from God, it comes from Hashem, it's not Mother Nature, that is like almost, you know, kafir. that's almost going against Hashem, realize Nature is something made by Hashem. Weather is made by Hashem. There's no Mother Nature. There's Hashem. Hashem makes nature. God makes nature. God makes the weather. God makes how cold or hot it is. It's not any element. Hashem puts safeguards in place. Hashem put principles in place. Yeah, there's gravity. Yeah, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Yeah, it could be hot in the summer, cold in the winter. But who set that up? Not nature. Hashem. Hashem made nature. God made nature. Understand it. Appreciate it. Utilize it for good. This is how the Gemara solved it back in the day and before. H.com points out from author Adam Ross, Rabbi Avigdar Miller, one of the last generation's great rabbis, was known to take time appreciating the awesomeness of nature, marveling at the intricate detail and unfathomable wisdom in the world that Hashem made. Look at this apple. It's so perfect, so sweet, so round, he would say before channeling his gratitude into a blessing. What does the bracha mean? Thank you. Blessed are you, God. We're not blessing God. Blessed are you. You already are blessed. to make everything blessed in in the world that you gave me these beautiful fruits from the tree. It's amazing. From a tiny seed, Hashem can make a whole tree and make all these fruit. I once listened to a shir from Rabbi Schaefer and the shmuz and how amazing it is the fruit. How an orange could be so tangy, so juicy, so bright. Hashem could have made it look like a turd. He could have made it look like a turd but tasted like an apple. He could have made it, you know, taste like a turd and look like an apple. But Hashem made it that it looks nice and tastes nice. Why does Hashem do that? To make it aesthetically pleasing and physically pleasing to us. Because everything in the world is for us to benefit from. Everything in this world is made for us. So beautiful what Hashem does. We got to channel that gratitude into a blessing like the rabbi did. Nature is not only there for Hashem to feed us, but also to inspire us. We could look at the trees and their fruit as our teachers and guides. That's why there's a Rosh Hashanah for trees. Understand and appreciate that trees also have a fundamental basis in our life. The date palm, which grows in salty conditions yet brings forth honey, teaches us to extract the good from the bad. The olive tree, which produces oil, encourages us to bring more light into the world. olive oil is used for Hanukkah lights. Olive oil some people use dafka to cook with. We specifically use olive oil, not other oils, and we specifically use olive oil, we all use olive oil on Hanukkah, and some people light with it also on Shabbat, on Shabbos, the Sabbath. And a car just to bring more light into the world. The grape, which is crushed before producing expensive wine or grape juice or sparkling grape juice, teaches us the value of humility. We all have periods of winter in our lives, times of darkness, coldness, and isolation. And that's why specifically Hanukkah comes. By the way, in the coldness, in the darkness of winter, the long, dreary winter months, I look forward to. I pine away for Hanukkah. It is my favorite holiday, Jewish holiday of the entire year. Itdafka comes in the winter months. It's hard to imagine ourselves back in a positive place. Hanukkah comes. And lightens up the day for us, lightens up our house for us, lightens up our life. I wish Hanukkah was longer. It's a pity it's only eight days. I wish it was for much, much longer, but maybe we wouldn't appreciate it as much. But in any case, Hanukkah comes in the winter. In Israel, after four long cold months, most trees have lost their leaves, battered by the harsh winds and frost. Just when they look ready to be cut up and used for firewood, new life appears again. The almond tree blossoms. These barren trees, which have laid dormant for so long, make a comeback. The key is not to let the difficult, non-productive times in our lives define us. Like trees, we too live our lives in cycles. Like the moon that waxes and wanes, shrinking and disappearing before growing and becoming full. We need to learn from Hashem's nature, appreciate Hashem's nature, be grateful for Hashem's nature. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it as a given. Those locked up, such as throughout the last year and a half, would be so grateful to be able to go outside and see it. and We miss being outside. How wonderful it was to have a backyard during Corona, during COVID. Some people didn't have that. How wonderful to have a front yard during Corona. Some people didn't have that. How wonderful to have a balcony, to have a terrace. Some people don't have that. If you have a backyard or front yard, thank Hashem, thank God for that. Use it. Appreciate it. Not only even during COVID times, in general. Use it. Don't make it as a wasteland or a, or a, or a, a, a garage Make it usable, accessible, appreciate it. Thank Hashem for it. Thank God for it. If you're in a building, go on walks, go to nearby parks. Hashem, God made nature purely for us to see it, to experience it, and to partake of it. Safaria points out on safari.org, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov taught, As often as you can, take a trip out to the fields to pray. All the grasses will join you. They will enter your prayers and give you the strength to sing praises to Hashem. Coming from the empty chair on page 86. How good it is to pray to God and meditate in the meadows amidst the grass and the trees. That's the idea of Hispodida, seclusion. When one goes out to the meadows to pray, every blade of grass, every plant and flower, enter his prayers and help him, putting strength and force into his words. It is best to seclude yourself and meditate in the meadows outside the city. Go to a grassy field, for the grass will awaken your heart. Sihat Aran points out he would often ride, a person would ride to the outskirts of the city and take walks in the fields. This was for his health and for other reasons that only he knew. This is why I personally have loved davening outside amidst the crazy past year and a half we have had. Many of us were locked up for a long time, but when we finally got out and I finally found this outdoor minion, this outdoor solution, amazing. It's so wonderful. It's a wonderful feeling, dominating outside to Hashem, amongst Hashem's nature. Feeling the weather, seeing the trees dominating to Hashem. During the week, there's a minion in the backyard of someone's house, and I literally hear the bugs buzzing. I hear the winds rustling. I hear the wind moving throughout, and I can see, experience the vastness of Hashem's nature. And that's just in someone's backyard. On Shabbat, the shul has a tent outside. I literally can see the vast trees above the tent, around the tent. And before this tent, when we daven in someone else's huge backyard, and there were beautiful trees, a beautiful landscape, and you could feel the pleasantness of the weather, it's really a wonderful experience to actually daven outside. We're cooped up, we daven inside. How inspired do we get? Yes, someone might have a beautiful davening, singing, dancing. But think about how much more inspired you could be davening outside to Hashem. Why do you think there is the idea of hispotus from Rabbi Nachman, from Breslov, and from people going outside? It's feeling Hashem, davening to Hashem, being involved in Hashem's nature, feeling the weather, seeing the trees, davening to Hashem. It is much more uplifting for me to daven to Hashem. You know, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, last year we davened outside. It was so much more moving, so much more wonderful to me. The hours did not feel as long. The six hours or whatever of Yom Kippur davening didn't feel like that because I was outside with the nature. It really felt amazing. And I'm not trying to sound hippie or liberal or whatever. I'm just telling you point blank. Literally, davening outside has been literally life-changing. It's amazing. I kind of wish that there was always places outside of every shul to daven all the time for people who want to love the nature, who want to experience Hashem's nature, daven to Hashem outside with the meaning and and the regular going about of the service. It reminds me of the idea of what my Jewish learning explains about Kabbalat Shabbat. In the 16th century, the small town of Safed, Sfas, located in the mountains of the Galilee in northern Israel, was a center of Jewish mysticism. Shlomo ben Moshe Halevi Alkabitz, Salomon ben Moses Halevi Alkabitz, was one of the many mystics who lived and studied there. On Friday nights, Alkabitz and his colleagues would dress in white, like chassan and bridegrooms, and joyously dance and march through the fields outside town to greet the Shabbos, which is des- depicted in both Talmud and in mystical texts as a bride and a queen. So they go out as the groom to greet Shabbos HaMalka, the Shabbos, the Sabbath Queen. Around 1540, Alkabitz, a poet composed a beautiful ode to Shabbos, very famously called Lechadodi, a beautiful poem to Shabbos, urging Jews to greet the Shabbos and extolling the virtues, her virtues of Shabbos. The Gemara points out in Shabbat 119a the Talmud explains Rabbi Hanina, Rabbi Hanina would wrap himself in his garment and stand at nightfall on Shabbos Eve, and he would literally say, Come, and we will go out to greet Shabbos. The queen, the Talmud from 1800 or so years ago, said, go greet Shabbos. What does that mean? Go out to greet Shabbos. What do you think that means? Rabbi I put on his garment and Shabbos even said, enter, O bride, enter, O bride. Jewish action the website from the Orthodox Union and the magazine they put out throughout the year, with author Rabbi Adler points out further. For the Mekublitz Tzfas, those Jewish mysticists, those those people who were Kabbalists in some level, this Hamidic passage served as the source for the liturgical the lit the liturgical excuse me, Kabbalah Shabbos, which for them entailed a trek to the outskirts of the city that we just pointed out to formally greet the Sabbath queen. The field was thought to be the optimum venue for this reception because of its natural ability to promote an inner contemplative mental state as well as for its mystical associations. In fact, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, the Ari HaKadosh, very famous, is reported as having formally invoked the image of the field by declaring at the outset, Bo v'netzei l'ikrat Shabbos malkasa l'chakal tapuchin kadishin. Let us go out towards the Sabbath Queen to the field of the Holy Fruit. Other Mekubli viewed any outdoor areas acceptable for the welcoming ceremony such as the synagogue courtyard, and of course, a backyard or a front yard, which many of us have done to, to daven to Hashem, especially on Shabbos, which I was talking about. Lechadodi Likras Kala, from the poem made by Rabbi Alkabitz, must certainly have been intended as literal references to what was then the common practice of gathering an entourage to go out and greet the Shabbos. Where have we gone? Where have we trekked out to? We have gotten so far away from this idea of going outside to greet the Shabbos. Why? Why is it that we don't daven outside? As long as we do so in a safe manner, a healthy manner, a proper manner, where we're sure that it's, a, it's good in all aspects, why can't we go out to greet Shabbos? It's such a wonderful thing. Even the image of the field is implicitly invoked by the words Lechadoldi, which in their original source in Shiram are followed by Hasoda. hasada Let us go out into the field. It should be noted that even after the Kabbalah Shabbos service was incorporated within a basic Knesset setting, I don't know when, I don't know why, I don't know how, but it became that it was common to daven inside, maybe because of the times throughout the years there have been many people... Unfortunately, who were not happy with our religious practice, think the Romans, think the Christians, think the Muslims, many people against how we practiced. So when everybody went inside, back in those days when it was dangerous, nowadays, hopefully it's not dangerous. Back when it was incorporated inside, it was not un- uncommon for the Zibor, the congregation, to recite the last paragraph of that beautiful Shabbos poem, the Sabbath poem if not the entire service outdoors in the shul patio. Nowadays, we don't even do that. You'll see what we do. The Arach HaShulchan observes that in his time, this practice was all but forgotten. What remains was only the vestige of this ancient minog, this ancient custom, was the widespread practice of turning to the rear of the synagogue, the rear of the shul at the recitation of Boi Shalom, at the last stanza of this beautiful Shabbos poem. Sabbath poem, to symbol symbolically direct our gaze westward, the direction of the setting sun, or backwards, toward the door. That's what remains of greeting the Shabbos? That's what remains of greeting the Shabbos? Almost, 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 keviyachal, embarrassing on some level, to greet Shabbos in such a way that we just turn around to greet the Shabbos? Go outside! Go greet the Shabbos. Would you not greet the President of the United States, the Prime Minister, Hashem himself outside? Do we not escort guests outside? Do we not escort guests from outside to inside? We don't escort Shabbos outside. I wonder if there's a way that we could change this. I wonder if there's a way that we could fundamentally try to bring back these beautiful ancient customs to actually go out. Reach Shabbos, to actually go out and to daven on Shabbos, to actually go out and to daven during the week. Yes, you could still have the beautiful study halls and the base Knesset and the base Medrash, but why not have an outdoor mini? Not just in one shul here and one shul here, and not just because of Corona, but to actually have one outdoor minion at every shul to appreciate the beautiful nature of Hashem and to daven to Hashem in the nature as connected in some level to the shul. Rabbi Yitzchok Zev HaLevi Salavechik Zetzal talks about just before the onset of Shabbos. After showering, before the onset of Shabbos, he would don a kapata, which is a type of garment, and sit on his balcony, soundly awaiting the approach of Shabbos. At sunset, he would enter the house, check the clock to ascertain the precise moment of Shkia, nightfall, turn to face west, and enthusiastically exclaim, "Bo shalom ateres bala! He would then be seated and recite Psalm 92 and Psalm 93, which is Miz Shir and Hashem Malach. An important lesson to learn, regardless of how davening prayer happens, is that the theme is of welcoming royalty. Shabbos is no less royalty than the the quote-unquote royalty of the royal family and whatnot of nowadays. Shabbos should not just come upon us, We must actually anticipate it and welcome it. Too often, especially on the short Fridays during the winter months, it is easy to stumble into Shabbos without affording it a proper welcome. It behooves us to reclaim not only the idea of davening outside, but also the precious moments prior to Shabbos and to use them to the utmost. Rav Salavechik, the Rav Zatzal often spoke of a phenomenon that he felt was lacking in American orthodoxy and orthodoxy in general around the world, that of the Arab Shabbos Yid, the the the, the 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 onslaught of the Sabbath, the Jew who welcomes in the Shabbos, not just the one who partakes of Sabbath, but the one who partakes of the eve of Sabbath on Friday and before Sabbath. Rabbi J.J. Schachter spoke about this one time when we were in, uh, by, uh, by my in-laws and it was a wonderful, wonderful idea which is very connected, very similar to the idea here. The era of Shabbos Yid, the, the, the eve of the Sabbath Jew, experiences the sanctity of Shabbos, the Sabbath, so deeply that he infuses his pre-Shabbos, his pre sabbath preparation with a unique aura of anticipation. How many people, how many of us actually anticipate, actually eagerly await Shabbos. I am so excited for Shabbos. It's coming. It's only five days away. Shabbos is coming. We're so happy. How many people are really happy, really happy that Shabbos is coming? How many people anticipate that Shabbos is coming? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with others. Are you actually excited for Shabbos? Are you actually anticipating Shabbos? Or is it that you say to yourself, and we're not judging, is it that you say to yourself, oh my gosh, it's Shabbos again? Again? I have to do this again? Or do we say, oh my gosh, it's Shabbos again! Yes! It's Shabbos again! When is it going to be Shabbos again? Do you feel sad when Shabbos leaves? Does a part of you feel ripped away from you when Shabbos leaves? That is a marker if you know That Shabbos is tied to your soul. That is a marker to know if you're really connected to Shabbos. Maybe if we greeted Shabbos outside and we let Shabbos go outside, maybe we could be a little more connected to Shabbos. I can tell you on a very strong level, I do look forward to Shabbos. My wife and kids look forward to Shabbos. Thank God it's a beautiful, best time of the week. And how do we do that? We make it that there are certain things that are unique to Shabbos, right? So we make the foods that are unique to Shabbos. We have Shabbos party unique to Shabbos. You know, Abba makes the special food for Shabbos, and we light the candle special for Shabbos. You know, we we sit around and we sing and we talk Divrei Torah. We talk the words of the of the Bible portion of the week. And my wife and I sit down special on Shabbos on Friday nights and on the Sabbath on the end of Shabbos before the 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 moments of Shabbos leave away from us. And that's why it's hard for people to reach us after Shabbos, because we keep Shabbos as long as we can, reading and resting before Shabbos ends those precious moments. We need to keep Shabbos, and maybe the way to do so, not only with all the laws and the customs and the and the and everything like that, is to anticipate it and to bring it to your life. Live Shabbos every day and bring it connected to nature, connected to the world around you. The Rav related. How such Jews abounded in every Eastern European shtetl, little shul, synagogue, and hamlet. The ranks of every Shabbos Yidden Jews included many a humble tailor, water carrier, and smith, who simply, this simple piety, paralleled those of the most erudite scholars. By midday, tools of the trade were set aside. They left their jobs in the middle of the day. Shops were closed, and one could palpably sense the approach of Shabbos. Do you know, in Israel, for most people, they do not work on Friday. The day off is not Sunday. It's Friday. That's no coincidence. To anticipate Shabbos, you put down your tools on Friday. The whole Friday is dedicated to getting the house ready, cooking, cleaning, getting ready for Shabbos. Sunday is a regular day for them. And it's very interesting. When I was in Israel for those two years, Friday had this palpable sense of excitement. Everyone's running around trying to get to there for Shabbos. Everyone's running around to get to where they're supposed to be for Shabbos. When Shabbos comes, boom, it comes upon you no matter what. And it's there. One would enter the shul in those times, well before sundown, and find Jews of every stripe enraptured in the recitation of Shira Shirim. Such were the likes of those Arab Shabbos Jews. Sadly, the Rav bemoaned the disappearance of this breed of Jew, noting that although contemporary Orthodox Jewry might be meticulous in Shabbos observance, it lost the special spark of the Arab Shabbos Jew. Go out to Daven. Go out to welcome the Shabbos. It's a wonderful way to interpret how to bring in the Shabbos. How to connect to Shabbos, how to be an Arab Shabbos Jew. Davening outside is a wonderful way to talk to Hashem while appreciating his creations in nature. Kohelet Rabbah points out when Hashem created Adam, the first human, he took him and led him around the trees of the Garden of Eden and said to him, Look at my works. How beautiful and praiseworthy they are. All that I have created, it was for you. Everything Hashem did He made for Himself, but for us to enjoy and see the power, the beauty that Hashem made in the world. Hashem didn't have to make a world. He did it for us to give and to give. Do we appreciate what He gave us in the world? Pay attention that you do not corrupt and destroy my world. If you corrupt it, there's no one to repair it after you. We need to appreciate the beauty of the world, the beauty of nature given to us by Hashem. Take care not to destroy it. H.com points out from my Aria Kaplan, everything God created has a purpose to fulfill. Although God is omnipotent, has no need of messengers, he decreed that the world should run according to natural laws. In this way, he makes use of all the things to fulfill his will to guide man toward his destiny. Therefore, everything that may affect man, be it a drop of rain, a thunderclap, is under God's direct control. When we walk outside what we see, the creations, we should see and appreciate the hand of Hashem. The hand of of Hashem. Not the hand of nature. Not the hand of mother nature. Not the hand of weather. The hand of God. The hand of Hashem. Isn't it interesting that for negative things, everyone runs to quote-unquote, God forbid, accuse God? Ah, oh, A tornado is an act of God. A natural disaster from God. This hurricane, this volcano, is an act of God. But whether nature itself is not an act of God... God forbid. You only attribute the negative to Hashem, but not the beautiful positive. The laws of nature, the world's sunset and sunrise, the beautiful landscapes, the pleasant weather or not so pleasant weather, the rain, the snow, the, the everything. That's a hand of God also. That's the act of God, not just the natural disasters. How crazy. People only seek to accuse, God forbid, God when the ban happens. People only remember God in the fox when it's bad times, God forbid. Always appreciate, recognize God, especially in the good, especially in the nature, which is so good that he gives to us. H.com points out from Rabbi Leff, When it comes to using nature as a path to God, one's explorations must be carefully guided, so that one indeed finds God through his observation of nature. As David Mel King David, proclaimed, God is to be found in nature. Psalms point out, When I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, I am inspired to realize my insignificance in relationship to God who is overwhelming. But there remains a danger in the observation of nature as the Torah warns us. There is a danger here. There is a danger. Lest you raise your eyes heavenward and observe the sun, the moon, and the stars, and you are enticed to bow to them and serve them, God forbid, from Devarim, from Deuteronomy. All creation was designed to inspire and lead us to love God. The Talmud points out in Rosh Hashanah, you have to realize that everything is from Hashem. Don't get caught up in the messengers. Get caught up in the one who sends the messengers, Hashem. The Talmud in Rosh Hashanah points out, on the fifth day of the week, we recite chapter 81 of Psalms, sing out to God our strength, of our strength. For on this day, birds and fish were created to praise God's name. Rashi explains It's not the birds and fish themselves which sing God's praises. Rather, when people observe the birds and fish, they give praise to the one who created them. Similarly, Perak Shira, the songs of various animals, plants, and inanimate objects, is explained by Rabbi Yosef Mitrani in his work Base Elohim, as referring not to utterances of these creatures and objects, God forbid, but to the responses the natural phenomena evoke in the human beings who observe and study them. The accessibility of nature to our physical senses is an important supplement to our knowledge of God. As physical beings, we're affected more by what we see, hear, touch, smell, and taste, which we call the senses, the kinesthetic aspect of involving ourselves in our environment, that by what we should know intellectually. But don't, God forbid, turn to anything but Hashem, but God Himself. Don't think nature or science or anything as independent power. It all comes from Hashem, God, only God, only Hashem Himself. The Ash Rabbi points out when seeing unusually shaped or beautiful mountains that one could readily recognize as a wonder of God, one should recite the blessing from the Orach HaShoch on the Court of Jewish Law. Blessed are you, God, King of the Universe. Blessed are you, God. We're not blessing God. We're saying God is blessed. Who forms the works of creation. There's some guidelines involved, like not if from a plane, not if you saw one the place month, but in general, that's the blessing. We need to physically acknowledge and appreciate the creations of Hashem in our life especially those around us, as in Hashem's natural world. Near the end of his life, Rabbi Shimshon Rafal Hirsch, a great, great rabbi in the late 19th century, I believe, who combated against different aspects that were challenging orthodoxy, like reform and conservative and the like, he wrote beautiful works, especially the 19 letters, where he goes back and forth, maybe metaphorically, with a character he might have created or not, someone who needs to understand more about Judaism, called the 19 letters. Anyway, he announced that he was going to tour Switzerland on foot near the end of his life. His students were shocked, tried to dissuade him from risking his health. Rabbi Hirsch explained, when I come before God, when I come before the Almighty after 120 years, God willing, I will have to answer for many things. But what will I tell him when he asks me, Shimshon, his name, did you see my Alps? We are supposed to appreciate the wonders of the world. Make sure... You do so. Rabbi Dovlev points out on H.com the Torah exhorts us to love God, but how does one love an immortal, infinite, non physical being? The Rambam, Maimonides, teaches that one way is to focus on the wonders of creation. When we observe how a little seed can transform into something so beautiful and alive, we are overcome with awe and appreciation for Hashem. Man's first mission, mankind's first mission, was to tend a garden. Adam Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden to look after and cultivate the beautiful garden that Hashem prepared. God first appeared to Moshe in a thorn bush because God wanted to emphasize, emphasize that even vegetative life is infused with the Divine Presence. The sages tell us that one should not simply enjoy the beauty of nature for its own sake, but use it as an opportunity to praise God for creating such beauty in the world. Some of God's most amazing miracles are happening right now in your own backyard. It is considered praiseworthy to plant trees for people to benefit from the shade, beauty, and fruit. The Talmud points out, which we will see the source itself a little later, Mertz uses the metaphor of a tree to illustrate the idea of being selflessly devoted to building a better future. An old man was planting a tree when a young person passed by and asked, What are you planting? The old man replied, a carob tree. That's foolish, said the youth. Don't you know it takes 70 years for a carob tree to bear fruit? That's okay, said the old man, just as others planted for me. I am planting for future generations. The Torah compares a human being to a tree. Ki Adam Eitz Hasada, we're going to look at. There's much that we can learn from trees. From their vibrancy, their growth patterns, their perseverance. Under difficult conditions, we had a whole mini, Tani talks life about it the other week. Which is on the Jewish podcast and on different podcast forums. Definitely worthwhile to understand perseverance under difficult condition. We can learn that from the tree. Tree needs to be planted in the earth. The soil is not the only source, is not only the source through which nourishment is absorbed, but also provides space for the roots to anchor firmly in the ground. True for people as well. To paraphrase the Talmud and Pirkei which we'll also see later in a little bit. God willing, if you have many branches but few few roots, a wind can turn your tree upside down. But if you have few branches and many roots, even if all the winds of the world were to blow, you will not budge from your place. Perhaps the most fascinating aspect of gardening in Israel pertains to the laws of the sabbatical year Shemitah, the seventh sabbatical year. The Torah says during the final year of a regular seven-year agricultural cycle, the land of Israel must remain fallow and ownerless. During the Shemitah year, it's forbidden to plow, to plant, to harvest, to prune, etc. Whatever grows on its own may be eaten by anyone. The field's owner may not stop others from partaking. The observance of Shemitah abused trust in God with an appreciation that the land produces fruit only because God wills it. Make sure to really plant your roots in the ground in a literal and figurative way, appreciating and using Hashem's nature, using your own nature to put roots in the ground through doing mitzvahs and Torah learning throughout your days to really appreciate that nature. The Aish Rabbi also points out that the delicate balance comes from Devarim. When an army surrounds a city, prepares to use a tree as a battering ram, the Torah says that a fruit-bearing tree may not be used for this purpose. We'll see the source a little bit later. If one uses the fruit-bearing tree, then the fruit will be needlessly destroyed since the same objective could be accomplished with a tree that does not bear fruit. On the other hand, a person may cut down a fruit tree for some constructive purpose, Maimonides points out. This encapsulates the Torah perspective. On the environment, while we may use the world for our needs, we may never irresponsibly damage or destroy the environment. Needless destruction is called Baltashis. Don't needlessly destroy things. Take care of the world around you. Take care of Hashem's nature around you. Even your Daladamos of the world in your front and backyard. This is why we oftentimes have people help, tend to, and look after our property, especially us. In our house, I need a gardener to help me to tend to t- and look after my front yard and my backyard. I try to take care of stuff inside the house. I need help outside the house. Listen to these facts from a fact sheet about Israel from H.com in 2013. Clean tech. Israel is ranked as the second highest clean tech country in the world, according to the WWF, the World Wildlife Fund. Solar energy. Over 83% of Israeli homes use solar energy for hot water. Highest percentage in the world. Green Energy. Israel is the first country to host a national electric car network. Water Management. Israel's reverse osmosis facility in Ashkelon is the world's largest water desalinization plant. Water Conservation. Israel treats 92% of its wastewater and reuses 75% in agriculture. The highest rate in the world. Agricultural Technology. An Israeli company pioneered the use of drip irrigation, fascinating in agriculture, helping to implement it throughout the developing world, especially in the desert in Israel. Thanks to the balanced diets and the latest scientific innovations, Israeli cows produce more milk per cow than any other in the world. An Israeli company based in a religious kibbutz is the world's largest producer of natural pesticides. Marine and coastal environment. Israeli scientists developed a bacteria that eats petroleum, helping clean up oil spills on land and sea. Environmental planning. Israel is one of the two countries in the world in which deserts are shrinking rather than expanding. Amazing. Air quality. Israel's CO2 emissions are 11.2.02 per capita, half that of the U.S. Reforestation. Israel is the only country that entered the 21st century with a net gain in its number of trees, even more remarkably, in an area that's mainly desert. In the past 50 years, Israel has planted over 260 million trees and recycling. Israelis recycled 20% more of their plastic bottles than Americans, even though they only started recycling 10 years ago, before 2013. Now, isn't that just truly remarkable? The world should learn and look from the good Israel does, focus on just that. I want to give some stories to help depict the idea of nature, how we can appreciate or interact with it. Listen to these stories from H.com and Nassano Safran. I apologize in advance. We're going to go a little over this week because we have a lot of material to share with you. Thank you for staying with us and staying tuned. So these stories come from H.com and Nassano Safran. The author explains, As a kid, sometimes one of the nicest things about being away at Camp Wallaby, he explains, is the quiet. Probably made up that name. Instead of the usual symphony of car alarms, buses, and sirens, the noisiest things around are the crickets chirping at night. And an occasional mosquito buzzing in your ear so you can understand why the author was so surprised to hear what sounded like a construction site one morning as he was eating breakfast him and his best friend jerry ran over to investigate and couldn't believe what they saw sure enough there was a big bulldozer parked across the road and mr allen the camp director standing there with a man wearing a hard hat and carrying a chainsaw right in front of big apple Now, Big Apple, besides being the nickname of my hometown, is what we kids called the tall, sprawling apple tree by the camp entrance. It had been there longer than any of us, even the counselors, could remember. And it was part of the Camp Wallaby tradition. And now, if I was seeing right, it looked like it was about to be turned into firewood. Jared and I looked at each other and started to run. We headed off to the director and the tree executioner at the pass. Hey, Mr. Allen, what's going on? I yelled out in panic. He must have seen how upset we were because he didn't get mad or anything, but smiled and said, Don't worry, guys. We're just improving Camp Wallaby. We're going to make a great camp even better by building your kids some great new playground equipment and even put up a great new snack bar. Maybe I didn't understand him or he didn't understand me. What did all this have to do with killing Big Apple? Why is that man about to chop down this beautiful tree for no reason? He frowned for a moment and then smiled. It's not for no reason, he explained. We have to put the new equipment and snack bar somewhere, don't we? Now, could you boys please move away from the work area? It could be dangerous, you know. Well, there was some reason, but was it really worth chopping down this magnificent tree for some dumb snack bar? Jerry and I begged and pleaded to Mr. Allen not to cut down the tree, but he wouldn't budge. And although he's a nice guy tries to keep us happy campers, I could see that even he was starting to lose his patience. The big, mean-looking worker, who had just lost his patience, started up his chainsaw, and it looked like Big Apple was going to be turned into Big Apple sauce, like it or not. But then I got an idea, the author says. Mr. Allen, what if we took kids on a vote and decided we'd rather keep the tree alive than all that new stuff? Would you be willing to change your mind? Mr. Allen scratched his chin and thought, and I prayed the answer would be yes. Finally, he agreed and gave the workers some other jobs to do. He said he needed the answer within an hour or the tree was coming down, and that was that. I was sure all the kids would agree, and when I ran back to the dining hall where everyone was still eating, I told them the story, but I saw it wasn't going to be as easy as I thought. A snack bar sounds pretty good to me, said Big Ed, munching on a donut. And what's wrong with having some new equipment, added another kid. A big debate, maybe you could call it an argument, started up between the tree people and the playground people. And as the minutes ticked away, things were looking pretty bad. Suddenly Jerry winked at me, jumped up and said, Why do we need a new playground when God already gave us one? Everyone quieted down to hear what he had to say. Think about it, he said. What's a better playground than a tree? You could climb on it. It gives you a lot of shade to sit under with just a couple of ropes. We can hang some swings. We even get free background music from the singing of all the birds that make the tree their home. The kids nodded their heads, and it looked like we were going to win when Big Ed still chewing piped up. Yeah, but what about the snack bar? We were stumped. Nobody said anything for a minute. Then I got an idea. What's a better snack bar than an apple tree? God gives us tons of fresh, delicious apples all summer long for free. And... He said, turning to Big Ed. They're even a little bit healthier than donuts. Ed let out a big laugh and threw his hands up in the air. I knew we had won him over to our side. After a quick vote, we ran back to Mr. Allen, just in time to save the tree. By the next day, things were quiet again, as usual, at Camp Wallaby. And as Jerry and I sat munching on a couple of snack bars' apples, quote-unquote, it felt good knowing we had helped protect part of God's environment, helped people to understand why it was worth protecting. Sometimes... All it takes is one tree to help make us appreciate the true beauty of what Hashem made in the world. Listen to this second story from Asian Asano Safran. Stephen and Craig were walking out of Camp Chattanooga Dining Hall. Made up name. Lunch had been the usual filling if unexciting fare and the boys were looking forward to the hour rest period to recharge them for the afternoon activities ahead. They hadn't gotten too far when they heard someone whistle in their direction. Looking up they saw Stan. "'The camp troublemaker coming their way. "'Hey, guys, what's up?' he asked "'as he spit some gum he had been chewing onto the path "'just a few feet from the nearby trash can. "'Me and a couple of my buddies are going to take some canoes out on the lake now. "'We even got permission. Want to come?' "'The two friends looked at each other. "'I say we keep away,' whispered Craig. "'If Stan and his crowd is involved, it could only mean trouble.' "'But Steve disagreed. What's the problem? "'Just because we're going canoeing with them doesn't mean we have to act like them.' "'Craig shrugged. You go if you want, but I'm going back to the bunk,' he said, "'as he went on his way.' Count me in, said Steve as he turned to join Stan Heading down to the lake The boys grabbed the canoes and paddled out into the shiny blue-green waters Steve was having fun This is great, he thought Suddenly he he heard a loud splash Followed by wild laughter Quickly he turned his head and saw that Stan had dived out of his canoe Into the middle of the lake Whoa, thought Steve, we're not allowed to do that The counselor had told us how dangerous it was But soon one splash followed another Until all the boys except Steve had jumped out of the canoes The boy felt left out At first he stayed put, but then when he saw that everyone seemed to be having so much fun, he also jumped out of the canoe. Just then, the supervising counselor pulled up in a rowboat and started yelling at everyone jumping in the water, GET BACK IN YOUR BOATS! Turns out that besides tipping the canoes, the boys didn't even get permission to go out in the canoes in the first place. As the counselor gathered the boys into his rowboat, he noticed Stephen. This is a surprise. I would never have expected you to act this way, he said with a frown. Stephen bowed his head in shame. All of the boys, including Stephen, lost their swimming and boating privileges for a whole hot week. Later that day, when his friend Craig came back from swimming, Steve told him the whole story. You were right, he said. Somehow, just being with those guys made me lose my head. From now on, I'm going to stay with the right crowd and keep my head above water. It's good to appreciate nature. It's good to appreciate the water. But we have to do so in proper And permissible ways. Make sure to care for the nature of Hashem around us and to do so in the right ways. I want to give you one more story from Asian Asano Safran before we go on to other sources. It was the end of the school year and a special treat. Mrs. Glass, the nature and ecology teacher, decided for the special treat to take her class on a hike through the Blue Ridge Nature Reserve. She told the students they had permission to bring back one small object each that would help them to remember the experience and asked them to save it for a show-and-tell presentation when they got back to school. It was an unbelievable trip. It had been a warm and rainy spring which had caused the many types of plants and wildflowers to bloom into a dazzling array that made parts of the valley look like a giant flower bouquet. The rushing streams that followed the trail and the small waterfall at the end of the hike gave plenty of pure, cool water to refresh the kids' spirits for the bus ride back to school. On the way home, several of the girls were chatting about the trip. The topic of the show-and-tell came up. What did you bring back, Laura? Asked one of her friends. The girl adjusted her glasses, opened up her tidy carry bag, and pulled out a neatly folded piece of paper. She spread it out on the seat next to her. They had some of the brochures at the entrance to the park, she explained. This one lists all the park's facts and figures, including all the trail's elevations. It even has a small map. What better way to remember the trip? She added with a smite with a tight smile as she refolded the brochure. Well, maybe for you there's no better way, but for me, this said it well, offered Sharon, the girl in the next seat. She opened up the faded denim pouch she always carried and pulled out a small pine cone. She brought it to her nose. Mm she said. Just one smell brings me right back to that incredible forest. Just then another girl, Ruth, cut in with a faint wave of her hand. It's nice, she admitted, but I think you both missed the boat. She reached into her blue and green save the earth tote bag and pulled out a crushed Pepsi can. What's that? asked her friends. Didn't you notice there were tons of these things just off the side of the trail? Ruth asked. Even in a nature reserve, people just have to litter. This can is going to remind me to fight even harder against pollution. After all, this is an ecology class, isn't it? Suddenly, the girls realized that Debbie, the teacher's assistant, had been watching their little show-and-tell preview. The older girl tried to turn her head away when they noticed her, but it was too late. Come on, Debbie, you decide, said Ruth. Which of us picked the best thing for show-and-tell? Debbie blushed and tried to change the subject, but the girls wouldn't let her off the hook. Finally, she looked at them warmly and said they were all perfect, but this answer seemed to satisfy no one. Really, Debbie, said Laura. How could they all be perfect? That's statistically impossible. The older girl held back a smile. What I mean is that Mrs. Glass asked each of you to bring something back that has special meaning for you, and that's what you did. Each of you, from your own way of looking at things, fulfilled the assignment perfectly, knowing each of you I think you each chose just the object that will help you remember and appreciate nature and the nature reserve. The friends drank in Jebby's words with a smile. Just then, the bus pulled into the school parking lot. The girls filed off the bus, each with her perfect object and a little bit wiser from the trip home. We should appreciate Hashem's nature and truly care for it as best as we can. Throw out your trash, tend to the front and backyard, even if that means hiring a gardener like we do. Make sure to get out and see and feel the beauty of the world Hashem gave us. Talk to Hashem outside. Even try to daven outside if you can. For me, it has been a total game changer to daven outside. A beautiful feeling. Make sure to go to parks and gardens, to the water and the trees, and appreciate the nature Hashem made. See what Hashem gave us and truly treasure it, never taking it for granted. If we can appreciate the world, tend to the world, care for the world, maybe we could finally bring true peace in the world and usher in an amazing time period for all of the world. We need to do what we can to get involved in appreciating the world every single day. And I want to show you some other sources. We talked about before, if you wage war against the city from Devarim, and you besiege it for a long time, don't destroy its trees, don't wield an axe against them. You can eat of them, but you must not cut them down. Make sure trees that you know do not yield food may be destroyed. You can cut them down for constructing siege works against the city, but don't cut down the fruit trees. Tehillim points out in 19, the heavens declare the glory of Hashem, the sky proclaims its handiwork. is Misabram Kavod Yadai Magid HaRakia. Rabbah points out, Ben said, God brings forth spices from the earth, with them the healer heals the ailments, and with them the perfumer perfumes the perfumes. And Psalms point out in 104. Hashem is blessed. You know, bless Hashem, you are very great, you clothe in glory, majesty you in a robe of light, you spread the heavens like a tent cloth, the rafters are lofted in the waters, the clouds are His chariot, He moves the wings of the wind, He makes the winds His messengers, the flames are His servants, the earth is His foundation, the waters stand above the mountains, they rush away at the sound of your thunder. The point being, Hashem can be seen in the elements of the world, we just have to look for Him. We just have to appreciate it and understand that it's all from Hashem and the nature around us. Devarn points out, for it is the tree for is the tree of the field a man that it should be besieged by thee. Ki Adam Aits Hasadeh. Man is like a tree. Realize that man is like a tree. Chovos points out the duties of the heart. One of the most important subjects on which you should reflect is the wonderful gift of Hashem to living creatures and plants, the rain. Which, besides falling in its two seasons, descends and showers when needed. Hashem gives us the rain. What causes the rain? Who causes the rain? Hashem gives us the rain. He causes all of these things. Sefer HaChinach points out Don't destroy fruit trees. We have been prevented from chopping down trees when we besiege a city to distress the people of the city and to in their hearts. Divine points out Don't chop down the tree. Don't do any damage of burning or ripping a garment or breaking a vessel for no reason. The root of the commandment is well known. In order to teach our souls to love good and benefit and cling to it. Through this good clings to us, we will distance ourselves from all bad and destructive things. This is the way of the pious and people. They love peace or are happy for the good of creatures and to bring close to Torah. Don't destroy anything in the world. The idea of Baal Tashkis. Don't waste. Don't destroy. Don't cut down. Especially unnecessarily for no reason. And that's the point. Make sure to be a builder. Not a destroyer especially of the environment and earth around you. Don't waste. Don't crumble. Make sure to build up and brighten the wonderful world and nature that Hashem gave us. Mishle points out a very well-known phrase, that, a very well-known pasuk. we say every Shabbat. It is a tree of life to all those who grasp it. And anyone who holds on to her is happy. There's no coincidence in life. Everything is from Hashem, but especially here, the tree of life, what's a tree of life? What gives us life? What is our foundation? The Torah. The Torah is our foundation. Hold on to it tight. In Yirmiyahu, in in Navi, it points out, He shall be like a tree planted by water, sending forth its roots by a stream. And Psalms 115 points out that heavens belong to Hashem, the earth He gave over to man. The point being, the tree of life, the element of our basic existence is that of the Torah. Cling to it as a plant clings to the earth in order to thrive in life. Rabbeinu Bachel or Rabbeinu Bachaya, points out in Barashas. It's also possible to explain the words Asher Barah Elohim as referring to God sealing the whole mass of Barishis. The repetition of the word Elohim needs justification. The Torah repeated to ensure the reader would attribute the entire work of the six days of creation to a single creator, to Hashem. He who started it also completed it. The word La'asos teaches that the originated matter instructed the various parts of nature to continue His work, Hashem's work, in accordance with the rules laid down by Hashem. It's not nature, it's not weather, it's not this, it's not that, it's all from Hashem. The Morav Nevuchim, the Rambam, points out, the guide for the perplexed, for we believe the universe remains perpetually with the same properties with which the the Creator has endowed it. Hashem, none of these will ever be changed except by way of miracle. Although the Creator has the power to change the whole universe, annihilate or remove any of its properties, the universe, however, has a beginning and commencement all from Hashem. Boratius points out, so long as the earth endures seed time and harvest cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Everything was ordered by Hashem and is continually ordered every day. Hashem renews the earth every single day. Mishnah Torah from the Ramba points out in the foundations of the Torah how do we love and fear Hashem? When a man will reflect concerning the works of Hashem, the great and wonderful creatures. Think about the matchless and infinite wisdom. You'll be filled with love, praise, and exultation, and possess a great longing to know Hashem's name. As David said, my soul thirsts for God. When we think of all these matters, you'll be taken aback and stricken with awe, realizing that we're tiny compared to the vastness of the wonders that Hashem makes in nature and in the world. Realize the point is that Hashem made beautiful works in the world from the beginning of time that stay with us to the current day. Think about the elements of the world, how it all came from Hashem. From the beginning of time with all principles and all aspects of the world. Psalm 24 points out, The earth is Hashem, and all that it holds, the worth and its inhabitants are from Hashem. Gemar Brachos points out, 43b, Rav Yehuda said, One who goes out during Nisan sees trees that are blossoming recites, Blessed is he who has withheld nothing from his world, created into beautiful creatures, trees for human beings to enjoy. Rav Zutra Bar Tovias to- to- said, That Rav said, From where is derived the one recites a blessing over scent? As it says, every soul praise the Lord from Psalms one fifty. What is it from which the soul derives benefit, but the body does not? That is ascent. Miyahu points out seventeen, it shall be like a tree planted by waters we saw before, sending forth its roots by a stream, it does not sense the coming of heat. Its leaves are fresh, there's no care in the year of drought, it doesn't cease to yield fruit. Gumarantana points out what we talked about, the source. One day he was walking along the road. Who is this? I believe it's Khoni Amaga. When he saw a certain man planting a carob tree, Choni said to him, This tree, after how many years, will it bear fruit? The man said to him, It will not produce fruit until 70 years have passed. Choni said to him, It's obvious to you. Is it obvious to you that you will live 70 years? Do you expect to benefit from the tree? He said to him, The man himself found a world of carob trees. Just as my ancestor planted for me, I too am planting for my descendants. The point being, we care for The world we need to care for the world, we need to nurture it and appreciate it, and make blessings over it, not only for ourselves but for the good and the sake of mankind and of future generations. Brochels points out in 35a, Rabbi Yehuda said that Shmuel said, One who derives benefit from this world without a blessing, it is as if he enjoys objects consecrated to the heavens as it is stated, the earth and all it is is from Hashem. Rabbi Levi expressed it differently. He said the earth that contains Hashem's is written elsewhere, the heavens are the Lord's, and the earth He given to mankind. Basically, understanding everything comes from Hashem, and we must recognize that. Kohalas points out one generation goes, another comes, but the earth remains the same forever. Psalms 104 points out how many other things you have made, O Shem. You have made them all with wisdom, the earth is full of blessings. So when we see something wondrous, we should say this. You think about pregnancy, you think about childbirth, you think about kids growing getting older, you think about all of our systems, digestive system, just look at anatomy, look at biology for a second, you'll be overawed by the intricacies, the amazing machine that Hashem made the body. Proverbs 3, her ways are pleasant ways, her paths are peaceful. She's a tree of life to those who grasp her and whoever holds on to her is happy. The point being, Hashem made the world in a beautiful, natural, and tranquil manner and way. Don't corrupt it. Don't disgrace it. Don't trash the world. Don't graffiti the world. Don't ruin it. Have manners, have good methods to the world around you. Genesis 1, Hashem points out, Let the earth sprout vegetation, seed-bearing plants, fruit trees of every kind, and earth that bears fruit with seed in it. And it was so the earth brought forth vegetation. Seed-bearing plants of every kind, trees bearing kind with fruit, many kinds. Hashem thought it was good. Psalms 92, The righteous bloom like a date palm, they thrive like a cedar in Lebanon. Genesis 2 also points out Hashem caused to grow every tree that was pleasing to the sight of good and bad with the tree of life in the middle and the tree of knowledge of good and bad. And this is the source we talked about before. Perkei Avos 3.17 Rabbi Elizabeth Ben-Azari said One whose wisdom exceeds his deeds what is he like? Trees whose branches are numerous but whose roots are few so that the wind comes and uproots and overturns it. But one whose deeds exceed his wisdom, to what is it compared to a tree whose branches are few, but the roots are many? Even if the winds come, all the winds come to try to blow it over, it will not move. Because you need to have good roots. You need to have proper roots. And you need to make roots grow figuratively, metaphorically, and literally in this world in the right way. Tanid point 7a points out Rav Bar Yisrael said, Why is Torah like a tree? Why is it like a tree? It is like a tree to those who lay upon it to teach you that just as a small piece of wood can ignite a larger piece, so to minor Torah scholars can sharpen great Torah scholars, enable them to advance in their studies. This is what Rabbi Hanina said, I've learned much from my teachers, more from my friends, but from my students. I've learned more than everyone else. The point being, be that person that could be a seed for change. Be that person that has such good, strong roots in the earth that will not be toppled over by the surrounding evil. Be strong. Be a tree of Torah. A tree of Torah strength, caring for the people in the world around you. Just a few more sources, but Midbar Abba points out, A righteous person will flourish like a date palm. No part of the date palm is wasted. Its dates are eaten. Its young branches are used for ritual blessing of the lula. Its fons, fronds cover the sukkah. Its fibers make ropes. Leaves are for slaves. Sieves. Everything is used. So too there are none worthless in Israel. Some are versed in the Bible. Some know Mishnah. Some are masters of Agada. Others do good deeds, Still others promote social equity. Psalms 1 right away points out, happy is the man who has not followed the counsel of the wicked. Teaching of the Lord is his delight. He studies day and night. He's like a tree planted beside streams of water, which yields its fruit and seasons. Foliage never fades, and whatever produces thrives. Sukkah 45b also points out, Rabbi Levi points out, the rationale for the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan ben Rocha is not based on a verse. It's the custom is developed to express praise for the Jewish people like a date palm, just as the date palm has one heart. Branches do not grow from its trunk, but rather the trunk rises and branches emerge at the top, so too, the Jewish people have one heart. Directed toward their Father in heaven, we should be Zoha, that we always all have one heart. Ahabad Chinam, free love for all Jews. Perkei Avos 3.7 says, Rabbi Eleazar Bartosa says, Give of him that which is his for you, and that which is yours is his. Understand, everything is from Hashem. It's good to study nature, to see nature, how fine is this tree, but if you're studying something else and you get distracted, that's not so good. Meaning the point is use all of your elements to nourish the surroundings and the world around you. Don't waste any seed of talent. Use all of your being and qualities to enrich the world around you with any capabilities and any nourishment you can offer to the world around you, especially to the people in your life or not in your life yet. Just the last few sources, Yecheskel 31 points out, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches and shady thickets, lofty stature, and its top among leafy trees. Interesting to think about Yona Yonah's coming up in a week and a half, or in a month and a half or so on Yom Kippur, we read Yonah and Memcha. Wai. It's an element of tshuva. Yonah said five words to Ninveh. Five words. Like, "be'odar Arbatim Yom Ninve Tipol or something like that. And, you know, he was upset because the Jews weren't repenting and Ninveh is going to repent. The Jews are not going to repent. It doesn't look good. Tries to run away. You can't run away from Hashem. In the end of the day, Jonah left the city, found a place east of the city, found a booth there. He sat under shade until he could see what happened in the city. Hashem gave, us a, came as, gave him a rick in his plant, which grew over Judah to provide shade. Jonah to provide shade for his head, save him from his discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the plant. But the next day, at dawn, God provided a worm which attacked the plant, it withered, and the, the plant went away. Well, the sun rose. God provided a very deep, very, very intense wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head. He became fent- faint. He begged for death, saying, I'd rather die than live. God said to Jonah, are you so upset about the plant? He said, yes, so deeply, I want to die. Hashem said, you cared about the plant. You didn't work for it. You didn't grow. At least you cared about the plant, which appeared overnight and perished overnight. And should I not care about Ninveh, the great city where there are 120,000 people who don't know their right from their left? The point being how plant is a central nature central pun intended central element to the yonah story how interesting how important nature is throughout the talmud throughout the tanakh throughout our jewish history and in our life the talmud points out in Tanit 5b a man was traveling through the desert hungry thirsty and tired he came upon a tree with luscious fruit and plenty of shade underneath which ran a spring of water he ate the fruit drank the water rested in the shade when he was going to leave it turned to the tree he said how should i bless you Shall I bless you? Your fruit is sweet. It's already sweet. Shall I bless you? Your shade is plentiful. It already is plentiful. That the water should run there? It's already there. There's one thing I can bless you it may be God's will. All trees from your seed should be like you. We think about Shoftim 4. Devorah was a prophet as she led Israel at the time she used to sit under the palm tree of Devorah. Between Ramah and Betel the hill county of Ephraim, Israelites would come to her for decisions. Why? She did it to avoid yichad and seclusion with the man. By the time it also says in Megillah 14a... Just as a palm tree has one heart, as a palm tree does not send out separate branches rather than one main trunk, so do the Jewish people in that generation have one heart directed toward the Father in Heaven. That's why she was under the tree. Think about how we as the Jewish people are like one tree with many branches, but with the same seed, the same root, the same Father and King, Hashem Himself. Make sure to be connected to the pulse of the Jewish people. Help them out. Micha points out in 4, Every man should sit under his grapevine or fig tree with no one to disturb him. It was the Lord of hosts who spoke. And Avram Yaakov Fischel points out in the Essential Maimonides Translations of the Rambam, the commentary of the Mishnah, page 142, in relation to a king who goes mad, ordering a palace to be built in a barren, hot, arid desert. Things are not the way they seem to look on the surface. The pleasure of that imbecile also serves a purpose. It is preparing something good for someone whom the Creator wants to give it to in the future. He relaxes and enjoys his money. The imbecile will order his employees to build him a beautiful palace, in the desert a planter an impressive vineyard like kings or princes too why would he ask for a palace to be built in the desert it's quite possible that this palace is really being built for a pious man who one day many years later will come and find shelter from the scorching sun in the shade of one of its walls the palace will actually have saved his life will save him from death and that's the verse that comes from Eov. Should he pile up silver like dust, lay up clothing like dirt, he may lay it up, but the righteous will wear it, the innocent will share silver. Or one day a cup of wine from that vinegar will be used to make a medicine called triaka, which will save the life of a perfectly righteous man who was bitten by a snake. This is Hashem's way. This is his wisdom which he directs nature for you planned ideas for long ago, fulfilled in his steadfast faithfulness from Yeshaya. Think about how even one tree, one plant, one building can be structured or made literally To help even one Jew, like in the Yonah story, in the parable of the Rambam. Every creation Hashem made for us was to benefit us, to help us, to guide us, appreciate and love the nature around us, to truly care of it as best we can. We're going to wrap up the points and sum up. Thank you for staying with us a little longer than usual. Hashem can be seen in the elements of the world. We just have to look for Him, appreciate Him, understand that it's all from Hashem and the nature around us. Make sure to be a builder, not a destroyer. Especially of the environment and earth around you, don't waste, don't crumble. Make sure to build up and brighten the world of the world that nature Hashem gave us. The tree of life, the element of our basic existence is that of the Torah. Cling to it as a plant clings to the earth in order to thrive for life. Hashem made beautiful works in the world from the beginning of the time that stay with us to the current day. Think about the elements of the world, how it came from Hashem from the beginning of time with all principles and all aspects to the world. We need to care for the world, nurture it, appreciate it, and make blessings over it, not only for ourselves, but for the good and for the sake of mankind and future generations. Hashem made the world in a beautiful, natural, and tranquil manner and way. Don't corrupt it. Don't disgrace it. Don't trash it. Don't graffiti it. Take care of the world in proper manners and proper methods. Be that person that could be a seed for change. Be that person that has such good, strong roots in the earth that will not be toppled over by the surrounding evil. Be strong, a tree of Torah strength, caring for people in the world around you. Use all of your elements to nourish the surroundings and the world around you. Don't waste any seed of talent. Use all of your being and qualities to enrich the world around you with any capabilities and any nourishment you could offer to the world around you, especially to the people in your life or not in your life yet. Think about how we as the Jewish people are like one tree with many branches, but with the same seed, the same root, the same father and king, that of Hashem himself. Make sure to be connected to the pulse of the whole Jewish people and help them out. Think about it, even one tree, one plant, one building can be structured or made literally to help even one Jew, like in the Yonah story, the parable of the Rambam. Every creation Hashem made was for us, to benefit us, to help us, to guide us, appreciate and love the nature around us and truly care for it as best we can. We need to truly acknowledge and thank Hashem for the wonderful nature and the wonderful world He gave us. In our land, the land of Israel and the whole world Really appreciate the world, the nature, the beautiful elements of our life and the world He gave us. We should truly care for it as best we can. Make sure to get out and experience and really feel the beauty of the world Hashem gave us. Talk to Hashem outside, daven outside, sing outside, dance outside, play music outside. Appreciate the nature of Hashem's world. Make sure to go visit parks and gardens to see Hashem's beautiful creations. Go see the water and the trees, the animals and the creatures, the beaches and the rocks. See what Hashem gave us. Truly treasure it. Truly love it. Never take it for granted. If we can appreciate the world, nurture the world, love the world that Hashem gave, maybe we could finally bring true peace in the world and usher in an amazing time period for all of the world. This has been Tani Talks Life. Join us as we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons.